This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Yeah, and a way to, I think it's therapeutic for game developers to come talk to you because they have all these stories and things that happen to them and <laughs> they finally get to talk about it. Like, Thank you. Right. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Game Dev Advice the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Welcome, new and returning listeners. Today's guest is Patrick Moran. Patrick's an award-winning video game business leader and entrepreneur with developer and publisher experience across mobile, console, and PC platforms during his almost 20 years in the industry. He's currently the general manager of Congregate's Tonic Division and has held various roles at BioWare, IonStorm Austin, Amazon, Disney Interactive, MobilityWare, and other studios. I think you'll enjoy the show. Hey, Patrick, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited to catch up. It's been a little bit. Cool. Yeah, it's been a while. So, um, where are you calling in from tonight? Uh, so, I currently live in Orange County, California, which is between okay. people think it's LA, but it's really, uh, they would be very offended if we called it LA. So, we'll call <laughs> it uh, somewhere between LA and San Diego. How are you doing with COVID 19 and everything going on now during these crazy times? Oh, man. Well, that, I mean, that we could take the rest of the hour to talk about it if you want. <laughs> 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 I mean, on the on the good side, from a game industry perspective, I I worked from home before COVID. I'll work from home after I work. Uh, we'll get to a sec, but I work at Congregate, and half the company is remote, so mm-hmm. there wasn't much of an adjustment work wise for me. I'm we're just so fortunate in this industry to be able to pivot, to be able to do remote uh, for production yeah. to continue. So mm-hmm. I, if anything, I just feel immensely grateful for what I'm doing now in 2020. I couldn't be doing 50 years ago. Uh, so I'm grateful to be alive now, making games, mm-hmm. living the dream. It, and uh, and, it's out, and in Southern California, no less. I, mm-hmm. uh, I did a stint at Amazon for four years. I did really well and invested all that into a local business. And mm-hmm. COVID has, it just was like a bomb went off. Mm-hmm. So yeah. on the personal yeah. side, it has been like a season of great loss. Uh, we pivoted the business online. We closed the sale of the business last week. So we're recovering some of it, but 
I appreciate yeah, you asking. Yeah. Um, but I just, everyone's going through some form of trauma. Like even if you feel like you're unaffected, mm-hmm. your kids are affected or your relatives are like, there's everyone's touched in some way by this. So, right. Um, I try to be cognizant of that and use whatever negativity is happening in my life to uh, use that as a empathy, you know, mm-hmm. to help others and keep it light. You mentioned congregate. So, um, Tell me about your current role as general manager there. Right. So when we last spoke or when we last worked together, I was <laughs> right. a creative director at a studio and now I'm a, like executive path right now, general manager, which is for mm-hmm. those outside the know, you know, you have your CEO, your C-level people, you have your VP level, and then you have your GMs under that. I've been here for about a year. I joined with a new program, meaning a new business endeavor starting from scratch, where we take games that have been out for a while. And okay. for whatever reason, the original developer slash publisher is ready to move on and we buy the license or we buy the game itself and we move it mm-hmm. to a new developer. I, I just read something recently about three games, mm-hmm. including some, I believe it was Disney games mm-hmm. that uh, that you guys bought. And I was like full circle, right? Because we were together at Disney. It was crazy. Wide load, 20, when did they nuke us? Was it 2014? 2014, yeah. yeah. So even like Worth My Water 2, which was developed during that time, right. the, right. you know, in the, the beginnings of a free fall game, which came out, versus Frozen and then they did the Maleficent sequel. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we were doing Inside Out Thought Bubble. So the, the seeds of that started sort of happening as we were exiting. Where's My Water 1 had come out, 2 I think had just shipped. And so now mm-hmm. to take those three titles on at Congregate and run those titles is really full circle. Obviously with Disney, I, I want to be respectful of that relationship. So I can't talk much about it, but the deal was announced. Uh, we are taking over those titles and uh, we're in the process of transferring those now. It will be done by the end of January. Mm-hmm. Congregate has a history of being a web game distribution, flash game distribution platform. And they've announced a series of acquisitions, BitHeroes, Survey of IO, which was one that I did when I first got there. These Disney titles. Uh, we launched a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the Synapse office in Chicago, where you're based. Mm-hmm. And so Congregate has really moved into making a lot more of their own titles, taking over and running their own titles. And there's been an emergence of us doing a lot more established IP, which is a neat mm-hmm. uh, step forward for Congregate. So Congregate, people really think of Congregate.com and playing Flash games there. The company is evolving and staying relevant and has really good leadership in place. So I'm really happy mm-hmm. to be there, but the day-to-day, I, I just run my business and run the teams. My teams are spread out right now between Berlin, Maine, mm. Boston, the wow. West Coast, Argentina, Costa Rica, Singapore, localization data, China, Hong Kong, and wow. Montreal. We have some partners and India. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's a... Uh, my, it's global. Yeah. I'm actually the only full-time employee in the program and everyone else's contract. So I'm running a really unique production model where everyone is contract ad hoc spun up, but it's working. We've been at it for a year. The program is doing well. It has really good profit margins and mm-hmm. it's really, we can talk more about it, but the industry has so much content. So many games are out now right. and so many games are released every day. And most of them don't succeed. And for some of them, it's either, you know, in Disney's case, they divested out of game development and they're mm-hmm. just more a licensing model now. They just yeah. paid for their IP. And so it makes sense for them to move the rest of the remaining bits of their catalog to someone else. Survey.io had two founders who've been doing it for a couple of years. They, you know, they're just for personal reasons, were ready to find a buyer and go on to their next thing. Right. And so there are people who are incentivized to take these things on. And when we look at them, we see opportunity to do better with a really 
Congregate is exceptional at product management, data analysis, ad, oper- ad ops, and just generally running live ops. And so we're using that mm-hmm. expertise to, to our advantage. And live ops is basically the process of collecting data, learning about the game, and figuring out what noms, what things can we add, what things can we change to improve how people play more, how people stick around longer, how people spend a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do to be better at managing community? Yes, it's amazing. So Survive is this uh, 2D battle royale game that's playable. Most of the audience is in browser. And mm-hmm. that audience is hyper-engaged and very vocal, which has been really interesting. And then you have these three Disney titles where community management's really not the big thing. The big thing is like in-game events or in-game content. Uh-huh. So right. each game needs something very different. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a really neat thing. And it allows me to grow very quickly. I don't have to go build a game to grow. I can we just need yeah. to buy one. People think of like business deals in the games industry as just some mysterious, uh, formal or elusive product. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is relationships and having, you know, building, having an establishment of trust and mm-hmm. having the equity and the, and the numbers to make it work. And, and the reality is that any deal is done through the thankless efforts of both parties finding compromises. Disney has been a great partner so far. And this has been the best mm-hmm. version of Disney I've ever interacted with, truly. Mm-hmm. It's a the industry is still an amazing place. I love games. No, that's and, great. Uh, and and speaking of that, like here's a big question: like, how did you get started in the game industry? I was doing indie dev, making indie games, releasing them for free on the internet. And from 2000 2003, uh, during college, I didn't know you could do it as a job. I didn't know like you could get paid. And there was because there was no game development schools. There was no. I remember I went to uh, my college. Uh, career counselor and was like i want to go make games how do i do that and she just stared at me like i'm sorry i cannot <laughs> help you i have no idea what you're talking about but i remember very explicitly it was my junior year of college i was driving uh with my girlfriend then now wife at the time i was like you know what i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna go make games i make games in my own time i'm just i'm gonna go do it mm-hmm. and 2000 was this emergence of console in a way that really had not existed before xbox was had just come out around that time xbox and ps2 that was that was yep. a big battle and gamecube was kind of mm-hmm. niche so yeah it was the three horse race and it was in the playstation 2 is still i think units wise still the best selling console of all time so it was really this really interesting time at the same time unreal engine was crushing it with the console race but also the ability to mod it and make levels in unreal and make levels in these engines that were triple a and now now you as a hobbyist could go make triple a content right and so the, there was this emergence just the beginning of it of tooling to be able to go make mm-hmm. things so i didn't know what to do but i knew that austin had a handful of game developers sony online entertainment was up there ion storm austin was up there there was a series of no-name work for hire shops that get contracts to build games for you know you're going to build the game boy advance yeah. uh Hannah Montana game. You're going to go build the, right. like, that kind of stuff, right? Four months, go. Four months, yeah. start to finish. Right. Can you get a GDD next week? Ship it, put it in the yeah. box. And then they would sell 2 million units, right? <laughs> right, right. Get it up for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Just get it up for Thanksgiving. The That's Game Boy Advance and the DS were insane in their ability to take mediocre licensed titles and sell millions of copies. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. Was, but everything was still, money. everything was retail. Um, and there was an online mod scene, but I really didn't know like what, I wanted to do. And, and my inspiration for getting started was SimCity and these big strategy games. And I didn't like mm-hmm. that even, it's even harder. Like there was work to do as a designer on these first person shooters, building lots of levels and items. And, but it wasn't clear if you love those kinds of games, like how do you, how do you make those kinds of games? Yeah. Uh, and now I know the answer was to become an engineer, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is why I haven't worked on any of those games. So what I did is I, I put on a suit, not a nice suit, like a men's warehouse, $100 special <laughs> with a big fat right. tie. 
And I drove up to okay. Austin. I had a list one day of all the game studios. And I literally just showed up at every game studio. I hit 20 wow. some in one day. And I would just advise whoever's listening to this, don't do this now. <laughs> you will get arrested. Do not do this. Right. Yeah, right, right. It was a different time. It was, like, it was, yeah, 20 years ago, it was different. Yeah. No like, one was... That guy's got gumption right now. Yeah. You'd be like, that guy's a psycho. That's right. Like, what? Well, I think I, I think half the people thought I was still psycho, but they it was so <laughs> unusual. They didn't know what to do with me other than right. like appease me, which worked. I just showed up and like, hey, can I talk to someone at HR about internships uh-huh. or anything? And they were yeah. like, uh... Okay, so who are you? <laughs> Why are you here? Do they know you're here? Nope. Right. I just and I had like my folder, my resumes, my suit. Right. And I remember that right. on several occasions I would show up and the studio that eventually became Midway, Austin. But I remember right. that the guy looked up and down, he looked at me and he said, You know this is games, right? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell you got the suit on yeah. for? I don't yeah, right. and he said, you know, I just want to do you a favor, like the suit's going to make people really uncomfortable. <laughs> They're not going to take you seriously. And he was doing me a favor, right? But, yeah, but then I, yeah. I still had like 10 more places on my list to go. I'm like, well, do I go buy new clothes? What do I do? Like, I'm here. <laughs> I went around yeah. and, and people, to their credit, I think still to this day, people understand that the drive and the desire to make games. And they respond when people reach out for the most part. And they want to help. So mm-hmm. Some people in high profile roles get overwhelmed and just stop responding because so many people are asking them for help. And so the real key is to go to the the animator, to go to the artist, like the person on the front lines who no one's asking for help. But if they can get someone hired, we'll make $3,000 referral bonus. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, right. the key is to find the mid pers- mid-tier person who's been there for a few years. So I was offered a uh, an internship, which at the last minute fell through, which was awful. But eventually, I ended up going to work there full time. It, uh, it was Fizz Factor. It was an amazing entertainment. And they just did DS titles, work for hire. I think at one point, they had over 20 DS dev teams. Wow. But before that, what happened was I met Kay Gilmore, who was a QA manager, Ion Storm Austin. Famously, Ion Storm with two studios, one in Dallas <laughs> and one in Austin. Kay Gilmore, she took a chance, you know? She mm-hmm. was like, all right, well... Well, if we just hire you as a part-time QA tester, we need some help. Right. See how it goes. Probably was not worth their time and attention, but what they're trying to do is pay it forward. Ultimately, they're just trying to be helpful. And yeah. um, I remember, so I started. So I was working full time as a as a web engineer, doing like e-commerce and shopping, plus doing twenty to more hours a week, driving an hour and a half up to Austin, working several days a week in QA. And it was my first exposure to the industry. And I, I did not grow up in a, in a house in a, in a way of thinking that thought that this could even happen that you can follow your dreams, that things can happen. And I remember they, they were super crunchy when we joined, trying to ship uh, the sequel to mm-hmm. Deus Ex, Deus Ex Invisible War. And this perme- you know, the, the, the smell of ill crunch food permeated the office. <laughs> B.O. and B.O. <laughs> it was hot. They had fans. It's Texas, right? And yeah. even though they had the AC going, they had crammed into every 10, 20, 30 square feet, a desk with three depth kits and... A big giant PC, <laughs> CRT monitors. It was just hot. It was so hot. Yeah. Right. And sitting on top. Yeah, of it was just the classic early two thousands game development studio. Yeah. And uh, people were short tempered and grumpy, but in QA they were having fun. You know, it was this. At the time, the industry was kind of going through a bit of a you know recession, so we had people who were traditionally designers, level designers working in QA, and so I had exposure to a lot of people. I got to go to Warren Spector's office and say hi, introduce myself. I got to meet him and talk to him. Mm-hmm. I got to go Harvey Smith, who was the lead designer of Deus Ex and then the game director of 
Deus Ex Invisible War, who went on to make right. uh, Midway Austin. That's that's the name I was trying to think. It was like Harvey Smith. Yeah, that's the guy. And then he went on to be part of Arcane Austin. Has made Dishonored, Dishonored Two. Has continued to make critically adored titles. He one time took me to lunch, you know, just to give advice and share ideas. Uh, and he was he was under extreme pressure. And now I know in retrospect, he's well documented in his interviews talking about having going through a hard divorce during that time. He still took time mm. for me. So I feel like just by being insistent and being passionate, it did matter back then. And it still does matter. I don't think the yeah. door is as open as it was for me at that time. But there, there also wasn't a formal education system to support it. The, the number of tools that are available now wasn't there. Um, yeah, it's insane. And so then I went from there to an entry-level design role at Maze Entertainment. I followed up and was like, hey, the internship didn't work out last, last uh, year, but mm-hmm. do you have something now? Oh, no, no. Actually, before that, there was a startup doing feature phone games, like phones that came before smartphones. Before they're an iPhone, they had the Brew and J2Me phones. Uh, Jam- Jamdat and yep. the Grayscale. Yeah, so we did Jamdat yeah. NFL, Jamdat NBA, yeah, Dodgeball, yeah. the true underdog story. The mobile video game, <laughs> which was basically super dodgeball. It was good. R- Rip Torn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, you know, you throw wrenches as your power-ups and yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a good game. And they folded and then they actually like called around and they got me lined up to interview. Because a lot of times that happens once you're in the industry, your bosses, if there's a layoff, they'll help you. They'll reach out to other folks to help their people get jobs. Like we really do yeah. help each other out because this we tend to be cyclical in terms of layoffs and um, mm-hmm. people really do help out, especially if you're already in the industry that people really, really try their best to help you uh, if it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I just kept, you know, I was there for three years. I shipped five DS titles and under really extreme hard circumstances, had some that went months and then got canceled. But I went to my first D3. I learned so much. I got to touch a lot of genres. It's like game design boot camp. And, yeah. and I really feel like that I benefited from having early on touched a lot of genres a lot of tool sets worked with a lot of IP holders. Mm-hmm. And the last title we worked on, I was lead designer on uh, Tale of Despero, which was this kid's book animation game from NBC. I'm really proud mm-hmm. of the work we did there. It was the highest Metacritic that we'd ever shipped at the studio. Okay. You know, it was really like a team firing on all cylinders for six months, just doing the best work that the studio's ever done. That opened the door for Bioware. So it's just this like, mm-hmm. there's yeah. no right answer. You just have to get mm-hmm. momentum and it takes time. Yeah. And don't wear a suit. <laughs> i knew a guy wore a suit with a cowboy hat and i was like uh we really don't know what to do We're like okay let's talk with this that's guy. very confusing <laughs> exactly it's one thing to get a cowboy it's another thing to get a guy with a suit but to get a guy in a suit and a cowboy hat it's like yeah i it was a midway artist yeah like he wore a cowboy hat and a suit uh, is he just trying to like totally throw everybody off yeah i, I don't get that's it. so funny in Chicago, right? Not, this is not Houston. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I, I remember like QA is such a ragtag. In, any, in most companies, any QA department is kind of a ragtag of people. And I remember mm-hmm. just the weirdest, quirkiest people. And <laughs> they're lovely, but yeah. you get the quirkiest sort of fringe people. Oh, yeah. Because you get yeah, the career yeah. QA people who like, I mean, if you think about it, like they've spent their whole lives breaking other people's things and they love it. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like this satisfaction they get. And these two guys, the um, Mike and Dave Casso are like the most amazing testers in the world. Mm-hmm. And like engineers be like, my code is perfect. There is no, I'm like, I'm going to put the Castle brothers. On. <laughs> oh, 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 oh shit. Oh shit. Yeah. And then they would just like, just crush their dreams and find, find so many bugs. Yep. And I've managed QA for a few years at, at Viacom New Media. And it is the melting pot of just personalities mm-hmm. and all stripes and all colors and all craziness. And uh, it's a sitcom waiting to be made. It's just, it was just, it, it is. Not, it was it, sitcom is the best way to describe it. Living it is a, <laughs> yeah i, I mean stories. it's a, it's a jumping point for some and for others it is their passion and for the people who are their calling is to be in qa and break things so that it's better for customers mm. they're priceless they're, they're amazing yeah no and right you're i have so people. much respect for what they do they often get a lot of grief too because it's like you're you're screwing up deadlines and ship dates mm-hmm. and plans and projections and it's like i'd be like hey don't slay the messenger mm-hmm. Let, you know these are the bugs let's prioritize them we can blow those off but we got to fix these so um it's a tough job and you work a lot of hours and you're bottom of the totem pole in terms of mm-hmm. pay generally. And uh, it's a thankless job, but it's also a lot of times a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, probably three quarters of people in QA move into other roles. Mm-hmm. And the other quarter just enjoy it and do do that for a long time. But uh, And then Kate Gilmore went on to like direct studios and I don't know what she's doing now, but she uh, like looking back now and that was not her first game job. She'd been doing it for a while. And to be a female in that industry at that time is in yeah. on the development side, right? It was, right, it was yeah. like a unicorn, yeah. you know, right. And, uh, mm-hmm. she had to be fearless. Uh, mm-hmm. she would have, she was courageous and really take that path and do that work is really commendable. Some of the best managers I've had in the game industry were women who just didn't care about being in a bunch of bros. <laughs> yeah. Right. right and right. we're like, I'm going to do this anyways. And mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to respect me. Yeah. And it right. shouldn't have to be that way. And it has improved. No. We still have problems as an industry. Yep. But yeah, it's gotten better, but we still have problems. I, I agree with both of those mm-hmm. comments. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So what do you wish you had known when you had started? You know, looking back oh, now, like, well, besides the suit. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been helpful. <laughs> You're I, earnest. Yeah. You? I yeah, think that, um, and this is general advice, which is with any career, you got to have patience. Ambition. I'm very ambitious. And there's a reason why I'm a general manager now. And it's, there's a lot of reasons. The, the, one, the main one is that I'll run into a burning building. I'm willing to do anything mm-hmm. and own anything and solve anything and learn anything where I found many of my peers were kind of like, well, yeah, I don't want to do that. I just want right, right. to, I just want to make the fun stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I just want to, I just want to brainstorm stuff all day, or I just want to, mm. I just want to code, like leave me alone. I just want to write really awesome network code and be great at it. And those people are so critical. What happens yeah. is when you have that ambition and it's very outward threatening to those other folks. Mm. Because they're like, oh man, is this person going to throw me under the bus? Are they going to (laughs) bet? So it created friction. And with older folks in the industry, it really rubbed in the wrong way because it felt like I wasn't being respectful of their time and their their tenure. And so I think there's you can be ambitious, but how you outwardly portray that, um, you need to be patient. And I think uh, the patience comes from knowing that it's all part of the journey that you're moving forward. You just really focus on the work and the customer and that you just, the ambition comes into the quality of the work. The ambition comes into your adoption of the culture around you. Like I now have started, built and sold a company and like the evolution of a job goes like this. One person starts mm-hmm. a company and then I think, oh man, I can't do X. I'm going to go hire a person to write code or do the art. Yeah, They hire somebody because right. that pressure and stress of having to do that job is too high. So they have hired someone to remove that pressure and stress, someone who's capable. Mm-hmm. And then eventually 
things plot along and that person they hired goes, when well, I just have way too much, let's say they're an artist. I have too much art to do and I'm not really good at animation and I have all this pressure and stress to deliver this. So now I'm going to go hire an animator and a concept artist to help me. Yeah. And eventually you get the idea, right? And then you add an engineer. Yeah. And then there's all these people making things and all the chaos of like, well, you were supposed to make this and I can't do this. And well, wait, let's go hire someone to organize all that. And we'll give them a, a title. Well, let's come a producer. Cool. Let's do that. Yeah. So now they're right. a producer. And then, oh, well, who decides what this thing is? Well, let's hire design. So the, the role of any employee, on a, honestly, in a team is to remove pressure and stress on the people who hired them whether it's your manager or the owner, whoever it is. Mm. And that fundamental understanding of employment has completely reshaped my approach to work. I'm ambitious. I do want to grow. I do want to take things on. But I'm always asking, like, how do I remove noise and pressure off the team, off my employers, off my peers? Right. How do I contribute the most I can contribute and direct all my ambition towards contribution? And come review time and come one-on-one -on -one time, my manager, I can voice all that career ambition. But in the day-to-day, -day, I'm just going to focus all that on the execution. There's a lot of advice. And, but I think overall, just like patience, 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 patience. What about advice, um, you know, here in 2020 for someone looking to get their first job, mm -hmm. right? Well, your ability, again, like in the spirit of reducing noise and pressure, you have to demonstrate that you can do so. Like mm -hmm. nobody, everyone's busy. No one really wants to take on training somebody new to a role they'd never had or skill they'd never had. It's just a, it's just too much to add to their plate. Yeah. And potentially, especially for a junior role, for not very long or and not the level of impact that warrants that amount of investment. Still, when you try to get your first job, people are going to take time and energy. Even if you have a portfolio, it's still going to take time and energy to get you to be productive in the context of a team, whether it's a dev team or publishing team, whatever it is. Yeah. So the thing I can say is just, just go do it. Go make games. There is no excuse to not have gone and made something in 2020. Um, mm -hmm. You can make a Roblox game. Nine-year-olds yeah. nine are doing it. Go watch one of the nine-year-olds' <laughs> right. YouTube tutorials. Like, Yeah, it's crazy. Don't, yeah. don't tell me you don't have time or the attention. If you don't have the time and attention to go learn new things, you probably should not be in games because that's right. that pressure to keep learning never goes away. Yeah. No, that's a great point, right? Because you can't rest in your laurels and mm -hmm. you need to just always be looking ahead and, and forward and what's changing, what, what what's the new landscape, what's the new engines, what's the new tools. Yeah, the people that don't have time sit around and watch Netflix six hours a day and, and you know, yeah, so, or play games for six hours a day. And, and, you're like, well, and if someone says, oh, well, I don't know where to start or I don't have the time or attention, I think, yeah, you're going to take too much time to manage. I need you to go figure it out. Like that's right. that's why we pay people. They go, they go solve problems. They reduce noise and pressure. So I I need you to go do that. Now, right. if you're truly lost and you don't know where to start, a lot of people are willing to help, particularly mid-level people. And the, the key is to reach out and say, I think I want to be in games. I think I want to be an X. I'm interviewing people in that role. Can I have 15, 20 minutes of your time? I just want to learn about your job. How you, the same thing you're doing here, ask these questions. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to ask them for a job. You're not going to sell pressure. You just want to learn. Yeah. It's going to pique people's interest. They're going to be like, oh, I wonder what happens with so-and-so who reached out to me, right? And then yeah. what you do every month is you just say, thank you so much for the Again, for the time you gave me, I took your advice. Here's how I took the advice. Here's the outcome of that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've applied to these jobs and here's where it's at. Just wanted to thank you. So you're just, you keep it warm, right? You yeah. never ask for a job. And what that's going to do is it's going to help build a mentorship network, which I think is as soon as you can establish a, a network of mentors. Um, I have a really good friend. You know, Patrick Curry, right? Oh yeah. Patrick's awesome. Yeah. He was on the show here uh, pretty early in oh. the podcast. Yeah. That dude is, he's a, I love him very much. He is a yeah, dear, so dear friend. I. I, he had a startup called Skylab back in Austin in 2003. And I, he's one of the companies that I tried to hit up and ask for an internship. 
And he, and I ran into him at a, at a networking event for the IGDA Austin event, introduced myself and we just kind of kept in touch and I never asked him for another job. We just kind of kept chatting and kept chatting, kept Hmm. chatting. And now 20 years, almost 20 years have gone by and we're still chatting and we're the best of friends. And he has done me great favors and been a big help. And I've tried to do the same for him. And it's just that investment in that network. And he, he became a really good mentor as we've gotten he's kind of like a big brother to me. Right. But as we've gotten older, I feel like I've been yeah. able to do more for him. I feel like I'm forever indebted to his mentorship and support. So yeah. I, uh, I'm very grateful to him. He's an awesome dude. And a lot of people I think, I'm sure you've had on this show benefited from his, him being a teacher, him being a mentor. Yeah. DePaul. He's, right? yeah. he's had just, yeah, yeah. He's had his impact on this industry is really understated. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of relationship, not don't, don't, you know, not don't everyone hit up Patrick Curry today, but, <laughs> but that's the right. kind of thing you want to do is you just want to keep, just build relationships and network, build a portfolio. And again, that patience yeah. factor, that's, it's just gonna, yeah. it just takes time, but it'll happen. If you really want this, you just chip away at these things and they, they snowball, you build momentum. Thinking about this, I had no idea that um, you knew Patrick going back to 2003, because again, fast forward, like wide load games, mm-hmm. you know, we're all three of us were working together. And uh, when did you come on board? Like, 2010, 2011? When, when was it? Yeah, I had just shipped uh, Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 as a designer and really had my feet under me. My career was finally hitting on all cylinders and I was yeah. ready for a move. Uh, Patrick Curry was kind of plotting his next startup and offered me the role. I walked, you know, Wide Load when I came into it was a cultural crisis. It, mm-hmm. I walked in like, oh yeah, cool, I'm going to take it over. But there was really this tension between a studio that had been founded to be, do its own thing on its own beat at, on its own time. And D- right. Disney, which is now mm-hmm. very, you know, Disney, you don't own their IP. Disney owns the IP. And right, you're not getting, right. like the studios, the, the film and TV people are going to be leading those IPs, not you. Mm-hmm. And there's deadlines and there's financial commitments and there's marketplace consideration, green lights. And, green lights and, and yeah, all those meetings and yeah. And that's right. very different than the indie utopia that much of Wide Load was promised when they went there. Yeah, Stubbs the Zombie and uh, Hail to the Chimp Hail and all chimp, that kind yeah. of like in in these stuff, and then it was like, all right, take this IP and 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 do something with it. So yeah, yep. yeah, there was that kind of like uh, identity crisis, and there were some people that embraced it, and then some that re- were kind of pushed and repulsed by it. So mm-hmm. there was some some challenges we had there. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there weren't people. There were people who didn't do as well in that new paradigm, and then there's people who thrived, like folks like uh, I remember. Uh, Dan yeah. LaDuca was an artist who loved Disney. It was like all about Disney. It was like, let's go, yep. let's go all in Disney, 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 mm-hmm. Disney, Disney. <laughs> right. Like, and he works at level X now. So yeah. yes, Dan's, Dan's awesome. Dan's awesome. Yeah. And that like that, see that like buying on the culture and that is so important. And well, not may not be the thing you want at the time or changes happen but until you leave that company, just do your absolute darndest to yeah. <laughs> be on board because I, I got to tell you, coming in and leading that creative, the creative on the studio was so was so hard to get people <laughs> going in the same direction. Yeah, and certainly on multiple occasions, working with John Crusell as the studio had saved that studio from closure. I think by the grace of some of the executives uh, who yeah. had mercy on us, but we were only <laughs> just kicking the ball down the road. And yeah, yeah. and in the midst of like trying to save everyone's jobs, having them push back on you is tough. It's tough. But I also understand mm-hmm. the perspective they were coming from. You know, one thing there there really isn't like there was no one there to lead me through how do you not only just lead a team creatively, how do you deal with massive cultural shift and change? 
and half the half the team just mm-hmm. not being bought in. That was right. that was like trial by fire. It's great experience. I've learned so much. I feel like now it would not be that hard relative to what it was because I've been yeah. through it, right? But it worked out, and I got you know we all got that severance from Disney. I rode Vespas around Italy. Uh, yeah. One thing I can say about Disney is their severances. The severance is they great. Really, yeah. They really take care of you. They like. Yeah, I, I went to Moab and crashed dirt bikes, and I was like, <laughs> all right, fine. To be taken care of with you know dignity and honor during that time, you can tell that Disney. Yeah. They cared about how you exited, and I really appreciated that. Hey, and we both have pensions. Whenever that. <laughs> yeah, I think mine will be like I mean, five cents a year or something. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very minuscule. But I, I'm still like entertained by that idea that there's like this. I get pension updates. Very, yeah, these are like pension updates. I'm like, yeah, I, I might be able, f- maybe afford a trip to the grocery store. When I can use that, but but thank you, Disney, and it's, yeah. it's, good, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye, right? We 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 have some form of some small. Small pension. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just cracks me up that I think about that. I'm like, yeah, I got that pension from Disney. That's so funny. Okay. I know. I was just like, yeah. I, I, mean, I would absolutely go work for Disney again. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that you have all these dreams about, oh, I, I want to go work at Blizzard. I want to go work at Firaxis. I want to go work at Maxis with Will Wright. I want to go, whatever the dream is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But then you kind of build your own network and your own inner circle and your own history. And it's within that family of contacts that really you build a, the rest of your career around. Yeah, uh, Austin is this long lineage of origin. Uh, exactly, exactly. Because it, it just historically, so people know, like Origin had a couple hundred people in the late eighties, nineties, mm-hmm. um, and and that was huge, mm-hmm. right? Like, like so nobody was anywhere that big. I mean, that was just insane. Mm-hmm. And what would happen was people would get pissed. I'm going to go start my own studio. Mm-hmm. So like the whole Origin thing was like a uh, super spreader for all these like studios mm-hmm. that would then pop up in Austin, and then it grew because of that those roots there. And that's why there's such a vibrant community in Austin mm-hmm. going back to, you know, eighties, nineties mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. It's different in that. It's unique in that if you go to the West coast, like LA, everyone's been everywhere, right? They move in, they move out. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to Chicago, even Chicago has, there's a lot of people with roots in Midway and EA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's, that's where the big companies that were there for a while. And they threw off a lot right. of studios and a lot of talent that stuck because they're from the Midwest, their families are in the Midwest. They're not going to be leaving the Midwest. So they built their own future and their own studios that go on mm-hmm. to be acquired by other companies. <laughs> it's like, what about advice for someone trying to advance their career in design mm-hmm. um, as you've done, right? That, that's your roots. So can you speak about that? Like for designers that are out there right now and saying, how do I get to the next yeah, level? Yeah. Well, I, Design became hyper-specialized for a while in the 2000s. When people said they were a designer, they're most likely a level designer working on some console right. action shooter. And then Unity happened and Unity and free-to-play games really shifted the power back to engineers. And mm-hmm. there's all these level designers out of work who had to like, oh, I'm going to go yeah. become a product manager and do KPI analysis and that'll I'll do my design that way. Or I'll become a producer or I'll, I'll go make my own indie game or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so... Design is very fluid in the industry and the requirements of design change with the technology. Technology has a mm-hmm. direct downstream impact on what it means to be a designer. So I would just, you got to have a lot of flexibility. You need to run towards fires. Uh, you know, if, if, somebody, if you need to go write a proposal for a breakfast at Tiffany's DS title, then you go do that and you make it the best breakfast <laughs> at Tiffany's proposal you can. Yeah. If you need to go in and I remember in Mass Effect 2, Casey Hudson, who was in charge of that title, it was a game director. 
was he hated it when characters would run up against geometry in a world and he, they would clip with it, you know, where like their bodies oh, yeah, are yeah. part of their bodies are like passing through like a wall yep. because their right. collision, collision it doesn't match there. Yeah. And so we had to go in and he's right. Casey is like a hammer. He's just quality, 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 quality. It doesn't matter how hard it is, how expensive it is, just quality, quality, quality. And mm-hmm. uh, he has won Mass Effect 2 has the most highest Metacritic of any game in the history of EA, hundreds of game of the year awards. So clearly he, he's right at some fundamental level. Um, yeah. but I remember just, you know, there's these, like, I made a couple levels with organic rock <laughs> walls, <laughs> right? Never again. Then production did I make <laughs> clip, clip, everything clip. else was a space <laughs> shuttle with nice square quarters because I had, right. you know, I spent so much hours and hours and hours just merging so that it's efficient, you would uh-huh. lay out this 3D geometry. You have to merge all the vertices and merge all that. And there would be two that were like the slightest bit off and wouldn't merge properly. And you'd have to hunt through thousands of these little vertexes, like which ones aren't. Uh, so just I, like I, that, there's a lot of tedious work, but you just do it and you have to just throw yourself into, take full ownership mm-hmm. of it. And again, invest in relationships. So it's kind of the same general advice I would give, but just know that whatever you're doing in design this year in five years, your design role, unless you're on a long-running franchise doing the same thing, it's unlikely to look the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's very easy to get pigeonholed as a designer as, oh, you do MMO systems. You're an MMO designer. Right. Or you're a right. or you're weapons, combat or weapons designer. Or, weapon. or like, yeah, yeah. And then no one else will hire you to do anything else. And the only way to fix that is to run at any opportunity to learn and grow and do new things. And that mm-hmm. way you're not just an ex-designer anymore. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. And I've seen those people that just um, maybe went from QA to level design and they never evolved or improved their skills and then they just ran out of runway, right? Because mm-hmm. they never evolved. And um, yeah, you, you always have to be learning. You always have to be learning new tools, going with the landscape where it's changing and, and growing. Um, I think the combination of being an outwardly ambitious person, when I started in the industry, it's different now. I'm, I don't think I am that anymore. But mm-hmm. when I started, I was very openly ambitious. I was very opinionated and vocal and I rubbed people the wrong way. And so I saw my peers advance faster than myself. Um, as I built better EQ and better like soft skills and became more self-aware of who I was, um, I've been able to pass up most of the peers I started with. And it's not a bragging thing. It's just more of a, I've taken on a lot of really hard things that were outside my comfort zone again and again and again and again. And at some point that becomes that uh, Swiss army knife person who can do monetization, who can do design work, who can jump in and do scripting, who can do some production work, who can do some executive front pit, you know, like someone who can do all those things in the right context is uh, invaluable. Right. Right. So what about one or two of your favorite games or projects to work on? Yeah. So working at Amaze Entertainment on the DS titles was grueling. And I remember I was so sick of shipping 50 Metacritic games that just just got raked by game reviewers and Despero is a kid's title so you automatically you're going to be down 10 points on metacritic (laughs) yep i've worked on those you're already behind the curve like you're not getting anything more than an 80 something right it's just not going to happen right i was like we need to make the hard parts of the game as easy as possible and at the time the we had a studio in seattle that was building a ds title for spider-man and they had Hmm. they had just the most amazing combat designer up there and he was just nailing combat. Like Spider-Man was like the best combat I'd ever played in a Spider-Man game at that time. It's like 2007, 2006. Okay. And, but they had swinging mechanics and the, the IP of Despero, 
he has a needle and thread. So we literally just took that Spider-Man game that was close to alpha and we put a little mouse in it with a needle and thread <laughs> and remove combat and half the game dev was done. <laughs> wow. You know? And then Inventive. Yeah, smart. Yeah. 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 So we just stopped trying to let our egos lead development. We just started thinking really resourcefully, like how do we minimize yeah. how much work we have to do? And the reality is that we filled up all that time with iteration and it just, it took a long time to just generate the content for the game, but the core gameplay was down pretty quick. And then that allowed us time to, yeah. what if you, this happened? And we just played the game a lot and had kids play the game and anything that we saw people trying to do, we would just add mechanics for and allow them mm -hmm. to do. And we ended up shipping. It was the least expensive game we shipped. It was the highest Metacritic by like almost 20 points of any game the studio wow. had ever shipped. And we just, what we did is we tried to like keep it really simple and just not reinvent the wheel, like, mm -hmm. and just nail the IP and really embrace the IP. So it was the first time where I understood that uh, being scrappy and resourceful and really truly understand your audience and your IP is more important than, than like recreating a 3D camera system for the, right. for yeah. the 20th time. Right. I'm going to write my own engine. Yeah. Was, oh, God, engineers would love to yeah. do that. I'm going to, I know, but it's going to be best. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, why are yeah. we doing that? Why do we need to do why? that? Why? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's always this uh, tendency to be like, well, it could be more efficient or we could like save on server cost or we could port it to a new engine. And, and it, oh, man, it almost never works out. <laughs> no, always, always. no, yeah, because they grossly, grossly underestimate mm -hmm. all the extra time and downsides of it. And they just see the, the upside of it. And you should, blows up in people's faces. So, yeah. yeah. And I spent four years at Amazon and at the time they were building Lumberyard, new AWS components, new IP, mm -hmm. new teams working on new genres on a new distribution platform. And with a new, new engine. Yeah. yeah oh, it was just man. uh wow. It was it's like, it was like it's like a game being with all these platforms moving. You're like, where do I leave? Yeah, I'm just it was like all, visualizing. It was all the it. classic mistakes, but all at once. All of them. Right. And I remember we would just wow. look at each other and just be like, is this is this what we're doing? Is this really happening? And they've, it seems, uh, they've, they've recently brought on uh, Christoph Hartman, who was at 2K, and he seems to be writing that ship. Uh, mm -hmm. New World, which I worked on quite a bit, uh, had really good alpha. They delayed it, which is the right move to make it really, really solid, get it more, get more content in. Yep. Um, but you just see these like repeated mistakes. And, you know, early on in your career, uh, to recognize that, be self aware, adjust and ship something like Despero, maybe really happy. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, it would be, I would, I couldn't have this conversation without talking about like, I went from no one ever calling me about a job to mm -hmm. getting an interview anywhere I wanted after Mass Effect 2 ship. Yep. And that, the Mass Effect 2 and 3 run, I left because I was literally having like health issues. I had a newborn son that I don't really remember the first year or two of because I really wasn't around. Yeah. And I just at some point said, I, I can't. Yeah, it was it was yeah. dark. It got real dark. And, uh, and uh, that's when I was like, we got to shake it up. We got to do something new. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it changed my career, you know. So would I give it up? Yeah. Probably not. But it was I now understand that it's you got to set your own boundaries. And I didn't. I think a lot of work, you know, quality of life issues stem from people not having the boundaries, not clearly articulating the boundaries or not, you know, at some level you have to take responsibility for articulating what you and your family need. Yeah. And if your company you, doesn't. Yeah. You, buy, you get too absorbed, right? Right. You, yeah. Right. You just, you get blinders. I have to do this. Um, the team is doing this. I don't want to let them down. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. I'll get fired yeah. if I don't do this. I, you just convince your, you tell yourself all these stories about having to do it, or you just get so stuck on, I got to ship this game. I got to ship this game. I got to, it got to be yeah. great. Crunch is like a symptom of some underlying issues in the industry. I don't think it it, it itself is the issue. It's just sort of a, a result of some other things. Mm -hmm. So I, I have really mixed feelings. And it's interesting that people, Bioware has had a really rough run recently with Anthem and the new Mass Effect Andromeda being mm -hmm. just panned or just really underwhelming for players. 
Yeah. And uh, I saw Casey Hudson and Mark Dard just left this week, which are the two project leads. Bioware, mm-hmm. for so many people who went there, was this like dream career destination that turned into a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think success leads to complacency and leads to underlying cultural issues that get swept right. under the rug when you're crushing it. Yeah. It's, it's not broke. Don't fix it. Don't right? fix so it. Just keep, like, yeah. You may not like keep it, but doing the same thing. Talk to me once you've shipped a 95, 98 Metacritic game. It's like that kind of that, you know, like, well, it's yeah. working. So don't talk to us yeah. about it. Right. But it, it just is inevitable that those shops eventually have are hit. Uh, mm. So it, I say all this to say that like Despero was amazing. It like changed my whole view of making games. I'm really proud mm. of the constraints that we made the game under. And then I'm really proud of having worked on the remastering Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 multiplayer, which I prototyped and worked on for Mass Effect 3, still going very strong. And so I've made really game-changing, critically acclaimed, commercially successful, like just really, truly great work, you know, at the highest yeah. level. Um, yeah. And so I'm really proud of that. I, and I get two reactions when people find out I worked on Mass Effect. Either I've never heard of that or <laughs> are you kidding me? I love Mass Effect. This is the best. <laughs> like, and it's one or the other. There's there's no right, in between. Right. Very binary. It's very binary. <laughs> they, I'm either become like a deity in front of their, you know, or right. I'm completely irrelevant to their life. They don't care. It's so maybe sharing too much. I had surgery a couple months ago from mm-hmm. health issues stemming from my time on Mass Effect. Like wow. this, you know, eight years later, I finally was like, I got to get this taken care of and ended up having to have surgery. And it's all good. Everything's fine. It's just, um, yeah, it's crazy. And I gained, I was at the, I was close to 300 pounds when I left Bioware. Very overweight. Wow. Mm-hmm. I lost, uh, from the time I was in Chicago until the time I got to California, I lost uh, like 70 pounds and yeah, yeah. built muscle. And so I, I took ownership of my health and made it a priority, which is what has to happen. But I, right. I'm not without damage from my, my Bioware days. So yeah, I'm very fortunate congregate, uh, you know, congregate is when you work from home, it really cuts through a lot of the bullshit. Like you, yeah, totally. you're not having to, like, you don't have the the person who swings by your desk, like, Hey, how's it going? So what's, how we do? <laughs> you're not sitting in meetings and filling a whole hour because you just happened some, you know, you're sitting at your desk working and your manager walks by like, Oh, Hey, you need to, can you jump in this meeting with us? And like three hours later, you've lost half your day. You're not commuting in and out. You're not, you mm-hmm. don't feel the pressure to like stick around and play smash bros or like socialize, socialize. Yeah. And there's definitely some cultural challenges that come with us. Congregate has, is really figured out how to continue to have culture, continue to have morale, continue to do things for the teams and the employees to keep things, you know, feeling that there's life to the company, that you're not just transacting with Slack all day. <laughs> right. And Zoom. And yeah. Zoom. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like um, you can do it well. We know you can do it well. It's just a new set of skills. And I think I think COVID just accelerated what was already going to happen yeah. as millennials oh. and Gen Z moved into the games industry. It just It, mm-hmm. it just meant that some of the people who've been doing it another way for so long had to finally build the this, this skill sets and invest in the tools to to make this happen. Um, yeah. And because of that, I think it's going to afford everyone a better quality of life. Because instead of working for three hours a day and then dealing with overhead and BS and random meetings yeah, and right. for five hours mm-hmm. or 10, <laughs> whatever, however long you're, right. yeah. you're getting just eight solid hours of work with maybe a little bit of interruption. No, you're, you're right. It's, it's Scott Galloway talks about it. it's just a total accelerant, right? Mm-hmm. It just took what was going to happen in 2030 and just poured gas in that fire yep. and just made it happen so much quicker. 
what are you curious about right now oh. in terms of games and stuff like that? Partly, I've, I've been interested in this idea of undervalued assets, communities that aren't being invested in because they're bigger fish to fry. And we built, I built a, a model around that. Something I, I pitched it at Amazon and worked with Tom Kane, who's there now. Tom Kane was oh, Tom. Yeah, he's yeah. at Disney. He was the head of Wideload for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's awesome. speaking of mentors, um, he's been a great yeah. one. We looked at M&A and doing, buying games and scaling them through Amazon. But a large organization like Amazon isn't really equipped to, it's weird to say because they do big deals, but like the mm-hmm. idea that you can take something that's a, that's a one and make it a, a hundred in like a year, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that happens in games, right? You take something that's yeah. small and then a year later, it's massive. Right. It's not the kind of like, that feels very speculative, I think, to an organization like Amazon, which makes them less incentivized to do that. They're more mm-hmm. of that like, hey, we're going to eke out 20 to 30% growth each year and just chip away at it. it that's Games are very... Right. Uh, spiky in their in their breakouts, yeah. you know. Yeah. And right. are you at the top of the value? Or are you the bottom of the value? How much bigger can it get? These are hard things to evaluate on a very corporate driven PL forecast methodology. Whereas mm-hmm. Congregate has some of the same corporate um, citizenship, oversight, diligence, some of the same rigor that you get at Amazon, but they're willing to like, you know, they're willing to invest mm-hmm. and they're willing to believe in our ability to run live ops properly and move a little bit faster. And the, they're not looking, Amazon wants to know how do we get a $500 million deal done, right? Mm-hmm. And there's only so many of those, whereas yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for Congregate at the level that they're at. So overall, when it, one thing I would just answer is that I built a whole, my feature of my career is built around this idea of these games that we can just build live ops around and, and grow. I feel like that's a really big opportunity for me. I'll continue to do that. Okay. Also very interested in metaverses and communities where the game itself takes a backseat. Roblox, Minecraft, obviously. It's so interesting to me when the community around the game, the metaverse, the mod scene takes on a bigger life than the game itself. Yeah. And I don't know how that happens. I understand the tools you build. I understand community management, but it still feels a bit like dark magic when that spark fires and mm-hmm. the community takes on this growth trajectory that's exponential. Survive definitely has that level of engagement and the opportunity there to spark that. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this. I feel like a fast, quick to play battle royale game in your browser, and we're adding more and more complexity to the economy, to the system, so that there's more ways for people to engage with the game that aren't just playing the game. Which game is this again? Is it uh, Survive.io. It's with no E though. So we call it Survive. Survive. Okay. Yeah. It's really fun. It's really, really fun to drop in and play. Uh, HTML5 games have their own technical hurdles. So learning HTML5 gaming has been a real interesting thing to take on. And the mm-hmm. audience tends to skew pretty young. So uh, working with teenagers as your primary audiences, um, <laughs> it's really, I have a teenager in the house right now and one that will be a teenager in a few years. So, you know, I love yeah. that my kids are in the same age range as my players. That, that's super cool. And yeah, cool. I tend to talk about like the state of the game industry is this monolithic thing. And usually when people talk about that, they're talking about AAA console gaming or PC gaming. Right. But the reality is that the majority of gamers and game revenue are not those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, for instance, look at Southeast Asia. Garena is a publisher there. Garena has a massive multi-billion, you know, over a billion a year revenue for uh, Garena Freefall. It's a free-to-play pub, uh, PUBG clone. Okay. Garena, um, they got massive because they wanted to publish their own games and focus on Southeast Asia. But in order to do that, they need to be able to collect payment so they can get paid. And that's really hard because every country, let's say Indonesia, is broken into regions. So you have like Sumatra, mm-hmm. Sulawesi, like Indonesia is not one monolithic thing. Indonesia yeah. is separate regions. And in each of those regions, there's unique ways that people pay for things. They go to 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. they give the 7-Eleven cashier cash, who then wires the transaction to the game, who then 
entitles the currency for that player. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, or they have yeah. gift cards that can be used kind of universally on everything from candy bars to internet time to the game. Mm -hmm. Or they can pay with their cell phone, or they can mail in a check or mail in cash, cash, mail it to a game wow. company who then processes it and authenticates. And every really? every region, every country has different systems for this. So what Garena did is they went in from they're based in Singapore, all across Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, like all mm -hmm. these Southeast Asian countries. They hooked up a centralized way to process payments, collect payments and made it sort of uh, extensible. And so when League of Legends launched, one of its biggest regions is Southeast Asia, partly because mm -hmm. they partnered with Garena, who then allowed them to collect basically all the local and regional payment systems that everyone uses in Southeast Asia. And so without huh. it, they could have gotten big, but they could have, it'd be really hard to make money. Mm -hmm. And so now Garena is a major publisher. They're, they're investing. They invested in uh, Phoenix Labs, Vancouver. They've yeah, I've heard that. Mm -hmm. some, yeah, I've heard that recently. Yeah, they did. I saw the trades. Yep. Yeah, they, they there's a game called Dauntless, and they just uh, Phoenix Lab just opened up two new studios, one in Montreal, I believe, in LA. Yeah. Um, but Garena, and so this is what I'm talking about. So Garena, um, also now because they have this connected payment system, and they're the only company in any industry to have a connected payment system like this. Every other industry that wants a connected Southeast Asia payment system is going to Garena to use their uh, payment system for non-gaming. They own the rails. They own the rails. Yeah. Right? And we visited these yeah. guys while well, I was at Amazon. In our room, it was all the founders of the company and they have matching mm -hmm. hoodies with their names on the back. <laughs> they, they, it was like a band. It was awesome. Right. right. And in the room next to us across the hall is- That's there, Ringo. That's no, it, it is. It yeah. is. They have, have all their names on the back and they have like, it's like a, oh, I can't even describe it. It's just awesome. There, yeah. Okay. Real show of unity. And then across the hall was a room full of people in suits. And those are those are the finance those are the finance people who are working with the baking the baking right. industry, the, you know that that works on payment. Yeah. That's like yeah. one thing. Okay. Uh, South Korea is its own thing. China is its own thing. Web gaming right. is huge. Like web gaming pulls in massive numbers of players, but no one's really mm. talking about it. For instance, uh, like a, it, on a mobile game these days, if you got ten thousand installs in a day and you pay two dollars per install, that's a good day. Mm. Yeah. Um, I can get 10,000 installs into a web game and like before I wake up in a day for no pay. Mm. It's just super organic. Latin America is emerging as like the new South Korea. The, huh. ca the capabilities of the developers, they're getting their own successes in terms of self-publishing. There are companies that are becoming evaluated, looking to publicly trade. People, you know, like they're building their own Latin yeah. America publishing and developments and the the talent is good hmm. it's good they don't have as much an abundance of product managers live ops people they don't have quite the abundance of creative talent but they're building and it's yeah. it's like where it was when i started in the industry which was almost non-existent it seemed like just hobbyist right. uh, there's a yeah. there's a real thriving fast-growing industry there so when we talk about platforms and where people play and business models and companies mm -hmm. compared to what it was when i started it's massive so massive. And I feel like I'm always, yeah. I'm learning about new things all the time that I never heard about that exists within this industry that I've worked in for almost two decades. And yeah. I, I really feel like the complexity is going to continue to ratchet up as places like Africa build their own publishers and, and developers. Yeah. Tastes mm -hmm. are going to become more regional. So it would mm -hmm. be, it's going to become viable to make a game just for Latin America. Right. It's going to become viable, just like you can make games just for South Korea. Right. Yeah, um, more niche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a big audience, and, and, and there's ways to pay and, and 
yeah, they yeah. And as go for it. And the price to market a game in Latin America is very low because mm-hmm. a lot of people are not competing there for audience. So I say that to say that just like the, the industry is massive and complex. And so when we talk about the effects of COVID on the industry and like, it's never been bigger, what happens after COVID, I think, again, it's just accelerating growth. It's just accelerating what's happening. So yeah, yeah. you have all, and then that just means that games are going to be made faster. There's going to be more games, which means there's more games for me to go buy that didn't quite work out for the developer or that they're ready to move on from. So it's just yeah. the, the speed of the industry growing feels like it's increasing every year. The complexity is increasing and there's so much opportunity and so many ways to reach audiences and people. And there's a huge appetite for what we do. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just deeply curious about all those things. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's exciting. And it's rare. It's really, I did not get to pursue my curiosity in my day job every day as I do now mm-hmm. until a year ago, you know, it took me a long time to get there. And so yeah. I'm, I feel really just delighted every day that I get to do it. Cause I get to just be really curious about the thing I'm most curious about every day. No, that's exciting. It's really right. Neat. You wake up and just be like, all right, what all right. about this? Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's not uh, time to make the donuts go do the same thing. Yeah. Every time, so what about potential threats? Uh, that you see to the game industry? like concerns. Yeah, I don't think that we take, uh, it's a great question. Obviously, there's a lot that's been said about crunch, harassment, discrimination, yeah. uh, making the same game over and over and over again, but not really creatively advancing, emotional burnout, just all those things. I think mm-hmm. it's all one thing, which is there's a complete lack of mentorship and leadership training. The way that we grow leaders yeah. is, hey, you're a good artist. How about you manage some artists? Go. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Go. Um, or, hey, uh, the last game director quit. You seem smart and have opinions. Why don't you take it over? But they don't know how to do one-on-ones. They don't know if they should do one-on-ones. They don't know how to do performance evaluation. They don't know mm-hmm. how, they don't know, maybe they have EQ, like emotional intelligence. How to? Mm-hmm. How do you have direct hard conversations with people without just completely destroying them and running them out down? Yeah. What's appropriate to say to somebody? What's not appropriate? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there discrimination that you're participating that you're not even aware of? Yeah. Like, there's no train. I mean, big companies might have harassment training, but it's, it's like, to be honest, it's kind of a joke. Like we, people make jokes yeah. about it. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to go get certified in her sexual harassment. Ha ha ha. Like we don't take it. Right. Cause it's all HR training. I'm, I'm talking, yeah. I'm talking about like having somebody who really mentors you and teaches you and grows you. And it's a mm-hmm. really hard thing to scale. When I joined Bioware, the two founders, Ray and Greg, they do, they did, they were doing all the orientations for all the new employees every two weeks. The founders of the company to try to ingrain, ingrain in people. This is our culture. This is what's important. Here's what we're doing. Do you have any questions? We're open. We're approachable. Yeah. The second day I was in Bioware, I was walking through the office and I came up to Greg and I kind of nerded out a little bit. And I, I was just <laughs> going to walk past. Like, I'm not going to cause a scene yet. I'll wait. Yeah, you know, day two. Yeah, it's day right, two. Yeah. I'm not ready to like, I'm just going to like wait a couple months and then I'll, I'll say hi. You know, I walked by yeah. and he was like, oh, hey, Patrick. Uh, and he had, learn my picture and my name before I started so that when he wow. saw me, he could say, I see you. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to have you. Yeah. Like he had at the time they had a uh, 400, over 400 people at Bioware and they had 20 wow. some people starting every week and they memorized the faces and the names of everyone starting. So they could say hi in the hallways when they ran into them. It's just like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. And despite all of that EQ and hard work and they clearly had devoted themselves to becoming great leaders. They both, I think, had gone to go get MBAs and read all the mm-hmm. books they could. They were doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Like they that? were medical doctors. Yeah. Which is crazy. When yeah. Doctors make a game studio. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And they were, they, were full, they were medical doctors part-time for a long time 
while Bioware huh. was growing. There's little, there's little stories of Bioware that I learned about after I got there. Like apparently in order just to keep payroll coming in and cash flow, uh, during lows between projects, they, there was a Canadian kids show, animated kids show. Okay. And they would do like, they would deploy their artists on this like public access animated Canadian kids show <laughs> <laughs> to like, just get some right. income in, pay the bills and pay the bills. Yeah. And yeah. they're working. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Huh. But despite all of that effort and all the training, they, they really like, I think even at Bioware, the managers that I dealt with were not, there was a couple exceptional managers. Uh, Yannick Wa, who was the studio head of Montreal was really, really good, really, really sharp. But, mm-hmm. but most of the managers I met there were just not that great at managing. Yeah. They were exceptional creative heads. They were exceptional project game directors and they knew, they knew quality, mm-hmm. but most of them really struggled and yeah and how to bleed and how to get buy-in and the default in the games industry is to become kind of a hammer just to like just yeah drive people into the ground you know like right right we're right. gonna do this like right. get to work stop I'm, complaining i'm gonna f- flip the table here yeah, you get Where to make games yeah, yeah yell flip tables throw papers i've seen it all and yeah bioware harassment wise discrimination wise seemed to be good and improving mm-hmm. they're you know giving opportunities to, to females and Canada, Canada is a little bit different, you know, yeah. it's a little less diverse inherently, um, especially in Edmonton, yep. Alberta, Canada. It's like, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not Montreal it, or, yeah, it's, right. well, it's, or it's, Vancouver. Well, it's not, yeah. it's not Atlanta, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not, yeah. Da- yeah, it's not Houston. Um, right. There's just not as diverse a group of people, but they did fairly well bringing people in from all over the world, um, all different backgrounds and, and they've continued to improve. And so, I say all to say that it's really hard and it's really hard, especially if the organization and your bosses don't support it. I really mm-hmm. like, I think we need to like have a leadership uh, revolution, if you will. Yeah. We really need to get our act together. Like when I look at Ubisoft, the issues they've had with harassment, mm-hmm. discrimination, when I look yeah. at uh, all the burnout that we've had in the industry, it's all stems from just a lack of leadership mm-hmm. and the respect for it as like being an art manager is a completely different job than being an artist. It just is. Totally. Yeah. It's a different job. Yeah. And, but no one trains you. No one tells you right. that. If you're good at art, then you're good at telling artists yep. what to do. Just go and do the Jira and yell at people now yep. because you're good at art. You might you as well have saying, made them uh, a producer or you might as well have made them right. a designer. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. I don't know why we continue to do that. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of the, system, the systems that we continue to see symptoms of that. So I, I think we should do mm-hmm. better at that. Yeah. First, The first step is just to make sure regular one-on-ones are happening between all managers and employees all the time especially remote, it needs to be happening like once a week, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's the biggest threat. And okay. uh, it's also an opportunity, I think. Like if we, if we would, if companies would get really serious about this and invest in it, it would go a long way. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I'm really passionate about, I'm getting fired up. Like th- I'm really passionate about this and um, just no, like, that's good. be grateful. Like show, like I see you, thank you so much. That was really hard. It seems minor, but this is important. And I think, thank you so much for doing this. You know, yeah, it, you know, and it's not hard, right? Nope. Like, it just it takes a couple seconds, and it, it's just having the aptitude and the intelligence to a think that, mm-hmm. and then b verbalize it. You know, whether it's spoken or text or email, and that's something I've learned over my career too: is not to take that stuff for granted. Mm-hmm. And and when somebody does something, just to let them know, thanks, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not that hard, and um, it's just being a good human, right? You're not trying to do anything nefarious, mm-hmm. but just, just share that. And, um, it's a win-win, right? Yeah. Like, like, why not? 
right? Like don't, you don't have to be a dick, right? Just right. let people know. Thank you. And just let them know they're appreciated when they do something. Maybe the IGA, IGDA hasn't really shown any leadership. I, you know, yeah. I, I'm talking about getting involved with that. Cause I'm like, what the hell's going on, man? Well, like, it's really hard for, it's, it's hard for a culture or an industry that doesn't value leadership or see it or understand it to advocate for it or understand it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, one of the things that realizations I had, uh, so I went to go to Twitch for a meeting after Amazon had bought it. And I was sitting in the lobby and I sat next to this woman and Twitch, like you're there. And I don't think anyone is under the age of 25. Like you just, <laughs> it's like, and there's thousands of employees that are all right around and yeah. think, is this a college campus? I can't tell where I'm at. <laughs> it's weird. If you want to feel really old, John, go. I, I always feel old anyway. Just, so just sit in the like, lobby of yeah. Twitch for an hour. You will just, <laughs> you'll just give up. <laughs> right. Um, but I was sitting uh, next to somebody who was probably in their late fifties, early sixties, and she was dressed a little formally. And I, was, I thought, this is weird. You don't belong here. Uh-huh. And I said, Hey, so what you doing here? And Oh, well, I'm Emmett's uh, executive coach. And I was like, Emmett's the founder of Twitch. Hmm. And I thought executive coach, like you just coach executives on leading he's she's like this is exactly what i do I, I work with multiple people in silicon valley and i coach them on being great leaders and i thought hmm. wait there's coaches for that <laughs> and then when i look <laughs> in this industry yeah yeah right well and anywhere i didn't realize it was a thing and and now then when i learned that all the ceos vps all these people who make all this money we think it's inherent talent you just you just wake up and you're great yeah right. yeah but what i find is that they're not inherently great they all have coaches like it's just a normal thing. They all hire yeah. coaches. Like an athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How many great athletes don't have coaches? Like none. They all none. have. And it, right. Is it because they don't know how to play the game? Is it that they don't know how to work out? Why do they have coaches? Yeah. It's because they have blind yeah. spots and they need, they need objectivity and they need someone to push them. They need someone to hold them accountable and said, Hey, mm-hmm. you said you were going to do this and you didn't. Why didn't you do that? Okay. Let's do right. that next. Like coaching yeah. and leadership training. Um, and, and, and that right there, I think is really important, which is Hey, so-and-so, you know, you're, it was my expectation that you would do X. Uh, you did not do that. Why is that? Mm-hmm. What happened? Help me, help me understand that. I want to help you be successful. Were you not clear on what needed to get done? Yeah. Are you going through something? Uh, did you feel like it wasn't the right thing to work on? Let's pick that apart. Let's understand it. Cause I, you know, you were going to do X yeah. and then you did it like that level of directness and, and neutral observation. I'm going to be neutral. Right. Not, why the fuck did you do exactly. that? Right? Like, you can't yeah, do yeah, that. Like, it looks right. bad. You're going to get fired. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like, I'm neutral. Like I'm not against you. I'm not for you. I'm just, I'm just stating facts. Like curiosity. these things don't add. And you just ask questions and you're curious. Right. And so I think that that's why things like harassment training and discrimination training fall to the wayside. I think that's why we end up crunching. That's why people get burned out. That's why people leave companies. Like the overall cost to the industry of just lack of mentorship and leadership training is just massive. If you just think about turnover, right? Turnover, yeah, yeah. Totally. Or people who would otherwise work in the industry make great work, but don't because they don't want to deal with the industry. Yeah, seven years. I think I've I've read seven years the average tenure in the industry. That's awful. Um, That's terrible. It's terrible, right? Like, why would why is it so short? Why is it so? You know, other industries don't like seven years. I'm out. Like, mm-hmm. what's the deal? Yeah, yeah. How do we fix that? Yeah. What about thoughts on technology, uh, AR, VR, MR? Yeah. Stuff like that? So. I saw a set that it's on track to hit a billion in revenue this year, but it's mostly due to hardware sales and, you know, total investment in these things is tens of billions, you know, since this recent revolution of investing in building Oculus, mm. Valve VR. And yeah. so it's the size of the VR market right now is not that big, 
but it's meaningful at a billion dollars. I don't feel like it's um, a symptom of it. Feel more like people who grew up with this fantasy of the hollow deck got <laughs> super excited that it was finally here yeah, and went all in on it and just really want to make it happen. It's right. I, uh, I've never really been big on it partially cause I severely, I get severe motion sickness, like within 20 seconds, mm-hmm. I want to like empty the contents of my stomach into the trash can. <laughs> I just can't do it. Yeah. But I think there's three things that, that, that needs to solve. One is the nausea factor and that'll happen as technology gets better and, and frame, yeah, frame rate. Yeah. Um, the second is social isolation, like, especially nowadays, like mm, yeah. you are blocked out from now AR solves that. Right. Yeah. So I think this yeah, is so, not an issue yeah. for AR. Mm. especially if you can share it with the person next to you. It, it, it's if you're that weirdo that can see an elephant and no one else can, then you're just kind of <laughs> crazy. But like if two or three of right. you can see the elephant and share the experience, I think that that's actually pretty right. powerful. And then I just think the pink elephant. Right. Yeah. Right. The pink. elephant. exactly. <laughs> that's right. And then I think the last issue is that it's um, until it's just a pair of glasses that looks, so you're not looking like some privileged asshole with too much money. Right. Um, or you don't Google glasses guy. Or you, or you just look oh, super nerdy. Right. Yeah. The Google glasses guy right. is walking around with it on in a bar. Like right. it, it's keeping it from really being mainstream. And I think that we're farther off from solving those things than we care to admit as an industry, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of people right. wrapped up in their financial future of companies believing that it's just around the corner. We're going to solve it anytime. Billions of dollars. We're just mm-hmm. on the cusp. And I also don't know if it's the goal. Honestly, I, I, I think that there's something about the couch experience. There's something about these mediums that is really mm-hmm. at the point that it takes more effort than people are willing to, to take on. Uh, yeah. It, friction. It's just friction. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm interested to see it's, we need more innovations to get there. I do mm-hmm. think GPS enabled gaming is awesome. And I think we need another interesting take on it other than Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, but I've been a big believer in that since uh, the very early days of Niantic's first game it was called uh, ingress so okay. the moment i played ingress which was its predecessor to pokemon i was like yes totally i'm into this let's do it what about a funnier odd story from working yeah. in the industry yeah oh I'm, god I'm sure you got you got nothing there i was like what going through my mental rolodex i got a lot <laughs> well <clears throat> i can talk about this now it's far enough past um we we're working yeah. on an avengers game and we were doing um we're doing an update for captain america and i'm getting ready to promote that and oh yeah Around Christmas time, wasn't uh-huh. it? Like we were trying to get the update out, yeah. trying to get in the app store right before December 6th. God, why am I flashing back here? <laughs> <laughs> we were invited to do a panel at New York Comic Con at the Marvel Games panel. And I remember mm-hmm. John Crusoe at the time being super pissed. Like, man, we're here working on this thing. You're flying off to yeah. party in New York City. Like, you need to be here. And I'm like, we got to sell the game. <laughs> like, someone has to go. <clears throat> he was being super practical and feeling the pressure of the team and the stress. And yeah. I totally understand. But I was like, sorry, I'm going. <laughs> Getting out of here. <laughs> Right. But I remember that we were all super crunchy and I was just exhausted and tired. And remember I did pay for my wife to go out and it was an amazing weekend with my wife, by the way. It was awesome. It was like, it was one of the best weekends of my entire life, except for this moment. So the night before the panel, (laughs) I meet up with some folks from Disney who know that they're about to be laid off and who are drinking heavily. (laughs) I buy my wife a Manhattan because we're in Manhattan because I, but I actually, I didn't, that's, I meant to buy her an old fashioned, but I actually said Manhattan and I got a $20 Manhattan in Manhattan, (laughs) (laughs) a whole 20 gone. And I brought it to her and she sipped it. And it was like probably half bourbon. The thing was like, Oh, it was, it was strong. And she was like, no, not drinking that. And Uh then I was like, I just spent 20 bucks on that and I can't expense it. (laughs) 
because I, right. I didn't buy it for myself and I don't want to expense a $20 drink on the Disney account. <laughs> like that's right. Yeah, I don't want to expense yeah. this. So I was like, I'm drinking this. So about halfway through <laughs> all judgment went out the window and it went all downhill. <laughs> and I think I remember they were, had these big tankards of like beer kind of German style and pretzels. Okay. And I remember at least six of those beers and two of those pretzels. And then I remember, <laughs> I remember not drinking water and thinking, I'm just so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Right. I just need, right. and I stood up and realized <laughs> the floor was on the ceiling and my, and everything was spinning. And I thought, right. oh, oh no. And I stumbled back to the hotel and I couldn't stay on the sidewalk. And I laid in bed all night watching the whole room spin and then vomiting profusely into the hotel bathroom. And I remember my wife went down to breakfast and Luigi was there in the, in the hotel. Yeah. And he's like, so uh, where's Patrick? And she was like, well, he's not quite feeling too well. And Luigi was like, yeah. It's like, yeah, a bit to drink last night. And meanwhile, I cannot get vertical. And we had a, a New York Comic Con panel in like three hours. Oh, and he's like, okay, sure. well, all right, well, we'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> About an hour before the panel, my wife is like, Patrick, you have to get up. You have to get to the convention center. Like, And so I did. I just, coffee. it was just straight willpower of like getting myself. About halfway on the walk, I started to feel okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> functionally functionally but I, could, I hadn't stomach anything i couldn't get water in i was just so wrecked wow. this I, is not my personality like i've never no been, you're, 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 no you're not but i, I was just I, I know you and you don't just that's, a, that seems unorthodox it's a you, bad so, judgment yes. call the stress yeah. the just the overwhelm of the whole moment and one thing they don't tell right. you when you become the 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 face of the studio the face of the game is that off camera to the side of the interviewer is a handler mm-hmm. there's a disney pr person yeah. going no he can't answer that no, don't say that. <laughs> right, right. You have all your talking. Like you think, oh, I, I'm going to get all this attention, and uh, and that's not why I did it. But like you, it's exciting. Right. You're like, oh, they're they're going to want to talk to yeah, me. Yeah, Comic Con. And yeah. you think I can say whatever I want. And then here's all your talking points. <laughs> Do you not say any of these things? And you're you're Stick like, oh, I'm script. just a yeah, I'm just a robot. Like I'm. <laughs> I didn't even make these talking points up. You know, you're just right, doing what right. I'm told. I'm, just, I'm reading these yeah. things. And so I got to the convention center, and uh, <laughs> I walk in, and Luigi looks at me, and he's like are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm great. Don't talk to me. <laughs> He's like, I, I don't know, man. Are you ready? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> All right. All so right. we go backstage, we wait and 5,000 people funnel into this room. <laughs> oh, shit. It's so big that they have monitors on the, on the poles, you know, so people in the back can see like 5,000 yeah, people. Yeah. My wife's oh. sitting in the front. And uh, so I sit down and I didn't realize that they were going to have everyone from an upcoming gamer in, you know, focus. So there's probably eight games represented on this panel. Like mm-hmm. there's no time whatsoever to really even like give your spiel. Um, right. And the real, the real focus was the Deadpool piece. Oh yeah, that's right. So we go through it, they get to the Deadpool piece and it's like, Deadpool comes out of the back in character, music <laughs> cuts pump and boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and he starts yeah. dancing and he walks right up to my wife. And tries to give her like a lap dance. And I'm sitting, yeah, I'm sitting here in the front watching this Deadpool, watching Deadpool try to give my, and she's like, no, no, go away. And and to, to create the scene, like people went crazy. They, they got out of their seats. They walked up. They, yeah, they, they, they ran the, they ran the front, surrounded Deadpool. There's cameras yeah. streaming live to marvel.com. 
that's on the big monitor behind me. The monitor's in there. I'm yeah. very hungover and I'm watching this Deadpool try to dance with my wife <laughs> and her having none of it. And he like he went on for like a good 30 seconds trying to get her to have fun. And finally I was like, okay, this is not happening. I'm gonna go to the next person. And I was like, what is happening? What is happening? And then that settled down. And then uh we got to the Ubisoft game, which is this motion control game, and they had booked Stan Lee, and I didn't know. Oh wow. Yeah. So then you know, the guy's giving a spiel and I'm waiting. And then the whole place goes just crazy, like on their, you know, on their chairs screaming. I look behind me, Stan Lee's behind me. (laughs) (laughs) And he places his hands on my shoulders and squeezes them while he talks to the crowd with, with, you know, someone else holding a mic. And and I'm like, I'm so hungover. Deadpool just tried to lap dance my (laughs) wife. And and I'm being gripped by Stan Lee. And I, like my brain could not process what was happening. (laughs) So then he does a spiel Excalibur and the whole place just roars. And then, uh, yeah. and then it's like, and now to Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Follow that. Yeah. And I was like, so. Hey handler, what can I say? Right. And I just, I just bombed the thing. Just like, I just was so <laughs> out of sorts. I was like, I don't. Discombobulated. I just felt like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> like, what do you want from me? And I remember halfway through right. my, I was talking, someone was like, when's the next update screamed at me in the audience. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, and I yelled, I was like, I'm working on it. We're working on it. I yelled at him. Bust your ass back in <laughs> yeah, Chicago. Exactly. And I was like, you have no idea. And, and the moderator, Javon, was like, okay, so next up we have. And I left awesome. and I remember Luigi was like, yeah, so that was not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow i should not have done any of that yeah and i redeemed myself i had a marvel.com video on the floor event interview and i nailed it got all my you know i was on point then but i'm glad that i'm glad that live and learn people quickly forgot about my moment and i think the video is now off the internet finally it was up there for like three four years on youtube and i was like when are they going to take this thing down i'm so tired of just being on youtube oh there was an mk E3 where the Sony party was the night before, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the Sony party. They got big. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, that was back when they would like rent a mountain and have like. They have the biggest bands. bands. Not, and the biggest bands. Not little yeah, bands. Like, like the biggest no, bands. I was a year after Foo Fighters. I missed the Foo Fighters, God. but there was like everybody was there yep. and like, you know, booze and sushi and all this. So it was like one of those nights. And then E3, and I'm just like, just trying to get through. And uh, they wanted to interview. Ed and, and he had stepped away. So I was like, it was towards the end of the day. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there on this couch with uh, Paulo and uh, Brian LeBaron and they're recording it. And I'm just like, just recycling the talking points. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to just keep my shit together. I was mm-hmm. just, uh, blah, and we and create a player. And mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm looking, it, it's, it's been on YouTube and people are just like, that guy in a black shirt's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Like, man, I was just trying to form sentences yep. and just stay on point. And I was just mm-hmm. like dying because it was just, you know, E3s are exhausting, especially when you're talking and you're on camera and, and you're on your feet all day and then you want to let loose at night. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's brutal. And um, yeah, that video, I think it's still on YouTube where people are just like panning me about, about being a jerk. And I'm like, no, I was just completely dehydrated mm-hmm. and I was just trying to help out for this 
Australian MK uh, website that was wanted to interview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I hear you. I yeah, I don't. Um, unless I'm doing business in Asia now, I don't. I don't drink uh, during work hours at business dinners. I don't. I, since, mm. since since that Marvel Comic Con panel event, <laughs> I just <laughs> every time I see a drink during work hours, I I just have flashbacks to right, that yeah, really yeah, horrible right. night and uh, how awful I felt. So it's behind me. It's not. Well, hey, it was a learning lesson. It right? was. All right. I mean, the truth it, is it, that maybe maybe you prevented like a bigger disaster. Um, you know, later in your career from having yeah. kind of lived through that and lived and learned. And I, I know Tom loved his soju, and mm-hmm. we used to party too with uh, with Tom Kane. Yeah. So yeah, with Tom in Korea, it's a different story. It's so ingrained in in culture there. It's weird not to drink. Like, yeah, they're not going right. to trust That's you. Just, um, yeah. What about a game uh, you're playing right now you're excited about? I still love strategy games. I think Rim, RimWorld is so compelling from a story generation perspective, like how mm-hmm. these really simple art assets in this little colony build, like the stories they tell where like they help fire breeze against each other, they fall in love, they die, they mourn each other. The, the idea of AI as a storytelling mechanic is something that's vastly underexplored. So I think RimWorld, uh, systemic storytelling, mm-hmm. that procedural storytelling, I think it just, I hope it helps accelerate that and... One of the things if I were to do a startup would be to look at doing um, just an AI-focused startup to build AI tools so that characters within game worlds can more intelligently track a history of each other, have opinions of each other, express those opinions of each other, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some middleware that would allow that to to happen. And I share openly because I really just want someone to go build it. That's what I want to have happen. Um, Yeah. No, just more meaningful, in-depth histories of characters with each other, NPCs, right? Characters remembering what you did. AI is vastly underinvested in. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. Also, I think Microsoft Flight Simulator is the manifestation of. It's Mm. the first time a multi-billion-dollar, multifaceted corporation like Microsoft has built a game where I went, that game could only be built by Microsoft. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just the technical aptitude. The technical aptitude. The access to map data. The, mer- yeah, the emergence yeah. of its cloud services, all of the technology that it has across Microsoft converged to build Microsoft Flight Simulator, like a one-to-one recreation of the world. Yeah, it's crazy. I, can, I, I wish I had a computer that could run it. Like I have an old MacBook. Oh, but yeah. man. It's it's amazing to fly over your house or to like <laughs> go fly over Petro or go, you're just, and you're like, it's there. Yeah. And uh, they're continuing to, imp- anyway, so I think like Microsoft Flight Simulator is the greatest technical achievement in games in the last five years at least. Is there anything I should have asked you about but didn't? It's really important just to continue to have deep curiosity, continue to meet people, reach out, play games. I've COVID has been good for me in that I've reconnected with gaming. I took it as an opportunity. I picked up mm. making music for, again for the first time in 18 years. Cool. Guitar, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm kind of doing everything now. The tools are so good. Right. Um, I've taken mm-hmm. up cooking again. I've taken up indie hobby game development and i even have a schedule every week time allotted it's not like this oh when i feel like it i'll dabble in it i actually have like time slots seven days a week like uh, locked yeah. yeah so saturday sunday i make music monday through friday in the evenings after i'm done i work on indie game dev and then on the mm-hmm. weekends i'll do some cooking as well but it's like i have it all scheduled out to make sure it still happens that it doesn't yeah smart and so i do feel like it's reignited my love of the medium i love what i do i love industry and I just encourage people who feel a little jaded, feeling despair, maybe feeling a little lost or can't break in to like, it's really important to maintain that love of it. Mm-hmm. The, the industry is imperfect. We have a lot to get better at, but it really is, I believe, like the best time to be making games in the history of games. There's hasn't been better tools. There hasn't, there's not 
you know, the network, like the access to information, the ability to like make something and put it out has never been better. Um, and the appetite for even small things has never been bigger. So I really do think it's an amazing time and we shouldn't take it for granted. If you are in a place where you're like, Oh, I'm just like burned out or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe just like try to reconnect with gaming and why you did it. Like it really helps. Where can people find you online? Like website? Uh, Twitter is probably the best way. I, my, my handle's Lordy. Uh, I, I go by Lordy, Lordy, Lordy on like t- Twitch and other places that was yeah. not available on Twitter. So it's just a Lordy X three, like okay. X three. Um, right. but I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Actually, um, one of the things I've started doing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago is I started reaching out to people probably in their first five years of game development who have jobs, but they're very early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel like I always want to be in contact with kind of what the the new generation of game makers are thinking and doing, because uh, it's very easy yeah. to become irrelevant very quickly. So what tools are they using? Mm-hmm. What games are they playing? What are they excited about? What I've mm-hmm. discovered is, A, none of them really want my advice when I offer. And I have offered. <laughs> like someone, someone shared their portfolio and was like, hey, why is no one going to hire me? And I, I looked at it. I have a lot of feedback. And I said, hey, would you like me to review your portfolio? I'll give you feedback. I'll help you. No response. Yeah. Really? Um, I had people who, you know, share kind of like they're in a hard place and I just encourage them and nothing. It's like Mm. they're just throwing off sort of existential dread and frustration about their career. Mm. And here I am, you know, two two decades in, uh, in a pretty senior role, having done a lot of different things. And while my advice may or may not be helpful, like I'm offering and I'm connected, seems like a missed opportunity. And had someone done that in my early days, that would have been amazing. You know, it would have been right. So I'm trying to be generous. I'm trying to give back and, and pay it forward and do what I can in whatever way I can. And there's people mm-hmm. definitely more qualified to give advice. They're just not willing to do it. I, I say, I love to say that like I'm on Twitter. I am trying to learn and understand. I do feel like um, they're echoing a lot of what I felt early on in the industry. And again, it, it points back to that lack of leadership and mentorship. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the last question, like you've kind of touched on this before about the curiosity, but like what's one piece of advice you'd give others working in the industry right now? Yeah, I hate to be redundant, but it's again, looking for mentors, a network of support, understanding how like having a mentor works and what to expect from them. Because mentors mm-hmm. get something out of it too. When somebody yep. mentors you, uh, well, in the, in the context of a company, they're they're making an ally internally. So they mentor you and invest in you. And in turn, as you grow in the company, you look for opportunities to pay it for back to them, right? That's Or yeah. it, it's that whole like a sponsor and it, it's just how it works in big companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a more just altruistic sense, um, they know that, you know, if they take the time for you, you're going to take time for someone else. And it's just part of your contribution back when you, you're, when you're doing well in the industry. Yeah. Um, so I think mentors are like, again, super important, be patient, be the biggest cheerleader on the team, but also have boundaries. Don't let yeah. yourself get run over. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Cause it's a long game. It really is. Unless you mm-hmm. want to like burn out in 10 years or die in 20, like you really, sitting all day for long hours doing what we do it's there's truly a cost to it so i'm another thing i'm really yeah. passionate about is us just taking better care of ourselves all right man thank you thanks, Bye. appreciate doing this you bet. have a good night Bye. thanks for listening to this episode of game dev advice the game developers podcast go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes please also check out the new patreon page at patreon.com backslash game dev advice have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show again that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice thanks again for listening and being part of the show take care bye-bye